Welcome to another Do Laws Deliberation. I'm Levi Bimba, and today we're going to answer the very important question of what is the gospel? So if there's any more important question than this, then it's not a real question because the very most important question that we have for all time and all places is what is the gospel? And that question is answered within scripture actually quite clearly about what it is. And the gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion, which means good news. And for there to be good news, we have to deal with what the bad news is. And we'll get to that in a second. But I want to start with what the gospel is. And if you look up in a dictionary, like if you were looking up the word um, game, if you were to look up, look up, look up the word game in a dictionary, it'd say, you know, whatever, however would it describe uh, in Merriam-Webster or whatever dictionary that you're using. If you look up the word uh, trout or ball or whatever it is uh, that you're looking up, it's going to tell you this is the definition. And the, on, although the Bible is not a dictionary, it does define exactly what the gospel is in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. And we'll read it here. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. So this is Paul writing to the Corinthians uh, in the first century uh, regarding and reminding them that he says, I declared the gospel unto you and I'm declaring it to you again because this is the gospel that you've received. This is the gospel in which you stand and this is the gospel by which you are saved. And I think that's key that the gospel is how you are saved. This is the key, uh, the key issue for every man, woman and child from Adam and Eve until present day, that how are you saved? And I think it's easy to forget that what we are saved from is not just sin, or it's not just the curse of sin, or it's not just um, the penalty of sin, but we're also saved from God himself because God is angry with sinners who break his law. He's angry with those who rebel against the commandments that he has laid down. And we'll talk about those in a second. But this is the gospel by, by which you at least here, the Corinthians are received and stand and by which they are saved. And then Paul says, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you. So this is not something that you just take and leave, but this is something that keep that you keep day in, day out until you die and go to be with Christ. So he says in verse three, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. And this is what the gospel is. He says, this is what I received, just like you received that the gospel is Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The gospel is always connected to Jesus Christ. Christ was the chosen one of God to come and bear the penalty of all the sins of all those who would ever believe in him. And he died for the penalty or for the sins of those, for, for the sins of those who believe. Um, and he says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now, obviously, the question is, okay, well, then what is sins? What, what are, you know, we assume that we know what that is. We hear people, whether they're Christian or not, talk about how nobody's perfect. We all instinctively know nobody's perfect. There's nobody on the face of the planet that could ever raise their hand and say, I've never made a mistake. I've never done anything wrong. 
because we would all look at that person and say, well, we know you're a liar because we are all the same. We all do things that are that are wrong, that are wrong. But specifically, when the Bible says what sin is, and again, this goes back to the, the analogy I made of a dictionary. The Bible actually gives you the, the definition clearly of what sin is. So if we go to 1 John 3, verse 5, it tells us exactly what sin is. 1 John 3, 5, it says, it's 3, 4, where it says, sin is a transgression of the law. So what is sin? Sin is the transgression of the law. Transgression of what law? Well, if we're speaking that we're ultimately saved from God, then it's from it's the transgression of God's law that sin is. So if anybody asks you what sin is, it's a transgression of the law of God. When we talk about, we can ask, you know, what kind of law are we referring to or what is the law or is the law good? Is it right? Is it something that we should be abiding by? Or, um, you know, what, how can we transgress the law um, if we don't know what the law is? And that's actually a good point that Paul brings out in Romans 4, verse 15. He says, the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. And a good analogy I've heard used is that if you're driving down the road that you're driving 80 miles per hour and there's no speed limit sign, there's no way you can be breaking a law because there has been no law established to say you need to go 65 on this road or 70 or 75, whatever the speed limit may be. But it, because there's no, there's no signpost there telling you how fast you should go, you can go as fast as you want. You won't be breaking the law because there has been no law established insofar as you are aware on the road. So Paul is making the point where when there's no law, there's no, you can't transgress something that's not there. However, just because we don't all have the written word of God uh, in our hands physically, that doesn't let us, let us off the hook because Paul also says that the Gentiles, those who are not Jews, those who didn't have the privilege of having the law of God written for them in stone and then passed down from generation to generation through the laws or through the, the priests and the scribes, the, the law still is written on the hearts of all people who are born into this world. And he says in Romans 2, 14 through 15, he says, for when the Gentiles, which are people that are just not Jews, so anybody who is not a Jew is technically a Gentile. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, so talking about the physical law, the, the law of Moses, the law that was passed down from God to Moses to ancient Israel, do by nature the things contained in the law. So by our nature, even though we're sinful by nature, we still have uh, the capacity to do things that are good. So when the law says, like the Ten Commandments, don't steal or don't kill. A lot of people that are alive today don't steal or don't kill physically. They don't, they don't go around killing people. There's a lot of murderers that are, uh, there's a lot of people that don't murder. They don't kill, they don't steal. Another law is uh, be faithful to your spouse. There's a lot of people saved and unsaved that don't cheat on their spouse. So they're doomed, even by their own nature, they're still doing the things that are in the law of God that, are, that, are, that have been written down and given to the Jews. So Paul continues, he says, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. Not that they have their own law, but the law is in themselves and they know instinctively so that this is right or this is wrong because the law of God is written on the heart of every person that comes into the world. So Paul says in verse 15, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So 
Paul brings up the 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 the, the uh, issue of the conscience that we have, and conscience just simply means with knowledge. Science means knowledge. Con means with. Uh, in the simplest term, so conscience is with knowledge. We have a, a knowledge of I shouldn't say that, or I shouldn't have done that, or I shouldn't be thinking this, or I shouldn't be engaging in this. We have those thoughts in our minds, but also at the same time, we have saying we have those same thoughts when we're doing something wrong. We're justifying it in our minds, saying, "Well, I deserve it," or "She shouldn't have done this to me," or "He shouldn't have done that to me," or uh, "You know, he won't miss it," or "She won't miss it," or. Uh, this is just one look or it's just one one piece of candy whatever the case may be we are justifying ourselves while uh we're while our, our our minds are accusing us of doing something that we that we know is wrong that's why paul brings out another passage in romans that 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 when we are brought uh in in judgment before god that our mouths will be stopped i don't know exactly how god's going to do it but i imagine that god will show us everything that we've been doing, everything that we've done here on earth, and it will even play back to us our, our thoughts that we had during the things that we were doing, showing ourselves to be guilty as sin, as the saying goes. So the bad news is that we are under the wrath of God because we have broken his law, the laws that are written in the Old Testament and in the New that are don't steal, don't kill, don't bear false witness, uh, don't uh, don't don't be lazy. Don't gossip. Don't be prideful. Don't be self-centered. Don't be unforgiving. Don't be angry. Don't all these laws that are that we are all guilty of breaking. The bad news is that God is angry with us because we've broken those laws. Because God is holy. He's righteous. He's just, and He can never ever allow sin to go unpunished. So because of that, God is angry. And Paul even talks about how in Romans, again, that we are every sin that we commit, we're just building up more and more wrath. It's like a dam that is that is trying to, that is keeping back more and more water from coming. But at some point, the dam is going to break and it's going to flood the whole city and drown it. That's, that's, what, that's how we look in the eyes of God. The sins that we commit are just being leveled and stacked more and more and God's wrath is boiling even more and more against sinners who refuse to repent. So the good news of the gospel is that Jesus died for those sins. Every sin requires death. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23 says. So every time you lie, you deserve to die. Every time you steal, you deserve to die. Every time you commit adultery, fornicate, gossip, act prideful, act unloving, or act out in anger, all those things deserve the death penalty on the spot, which is why when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, God uh, said that in the day that you eat of this fruit, you will die. And they ended up dying. And, you know, the process of death started on that day. They no longer had fellowship with God. They died and their physical bodies were in the, in the mode of dying. I mean, as soon as we're born, we're, we're, we begin to die. Um, so the death process is always connected with sin. Everybody dies because of sin. They, there may be other reasons, like you, you got killed, you had cancer, you had a, a, a freak accident, whatever the case may be. This, the, the fact of the matter that you die, though, is connected to the fact that you are a sinner. I'm a sinner. So we're all going to die one day. But the good news is that Jesus died to take away the sting of death, to take away the penalty of sin, to take away the eternal conscious torment of hell that we deserve. Because God is that holy, an eternal God that we offend has to dole out an eternal punishment. Um, the good news is that we can come to Christ, and if we repent, which means just to turn from our sins and and stop doing evil and start doing good, 
if we if we if we turn and have that mental uh, change and, and that and the will to do what is right, if we become born again, our sins will be forgiven. Our sins will be cleansed, and our and because Christ died for them, the penalty has been paid. It's like a debt that you owe. If you owed a million dollars, and a billionaire came and said, "I'll, I'll pay your debt," you no longer are in debt. You no longer are um, are in in bondage to your debtor. You're free. And that's the, essentially the, the payment that Christ paid, but he paid it with his life. And that shows his love, that shows his grace, that shows his mercy. Because he didn't have to die. We all deserve death. We, we, nobody deserves heaven. That's a delusion. Nobody can earn your way to heaven. You, don't do, you can't do enough works. You can't do enough good deeds. You can't do enough uh, uh, good thoughts to undo even one sin. You could commit one sin and do all the good deeds in the world. The fact of the matter is you'll still be, uh, you'll still be a sinner. It's like the guy who kills somebody. He can do so many good things in his life afterwards, but the fact of the matter is he will still be a murderer. He will still be a murderer no matter what. You can't undo the sin that you've done. The only way you can be cleansed of that sin before God is by uh, repentance and believing in Christ who died for your sins, who lived for you as well, and will transfer to you all of his righteousness so that you can be saved. So I'm going to ask you what the gospel is. Simply the gospel is the good news that Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised according to the scriptures so that we and all those who believe in him might have life and be, and be able to escape the wrath of God that abides on all of us. That's the good news of the gospel and that's the good news that I hope you will accept and repent and trust in Christ as Savior and as Lord because he already is and either you'll bow to him here on earth or you'll bow to him before you're cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity that's the good news and thank you for listening today on the new loss and liberation 